This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today we have a special guest, Carrie Pierce. Carrie Pierce is the branch manager of Flag Star Bank. Carrie started his career in the mortgage banking business in July 1985. He became a producing branch manager in 1990 and has been in both roles ever since. As your home loan advisor, he's genuinely interested in your financial success, understanding your financial goals. He can build a personalized mortgage solution for your unique needs. Carrie will keep you informed every step of the way to give you peace of mind about your new home. Carrie has a deep understanding of the local housing market and can originate loans in all 50 states. He loves to build and maintain relationships, whether you're coming back for a refi or you're a real estate investor looking to expand, diversify your portfolio through leverage. Carrie can help you get all of those goals done. So, Carrie, uh, welcome to our show. Thank you. Glad to be here. And I apologize for missing our earlier time. <laughs> no problem. Oh, my goodness. So you've been around for a long time. So I kind of wanted to go back in time a little bit. In 1985, what were interest rates and why did they feel cheap compared to the, the pre years previous? Well, when I started in 85, I think rates were around 12 and a half, 13 <laughs> percent. And yeah, we were doing a lot of them. Uh, sale prices obviously were a heck of a lot lower. I mean, our average sale price was only 115, 120 maybe back then. Yeah. But 12 and a half was the going rate, but that had come down from 17 because I had refinanced the house at 17 four years before. Yeah. And like, what was it, 1980 when they got all the way to 20%? Yeah, I was 81. Um, I was in the business and I decided I was going to be a full-time real estate investor. So I wanted to ac access equity in my home, which was free and clear. And uh, it's really it's really a bad day when your wife cries when she signs loan docs on 17 and a half. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I closed. Actually, I, I, it must have been an adjustable, but I closed my first house purchase on my birthday in 1980. And it was an FHA loan at 12 and a half. Wow. 12 and yeah. a half. Yeah. That was right before they started going crazy. Um, Volcker was probably not in the position yet or certainly hadn't done what he was about to do, but I was, yeah, at almost the peak of the interest rates and I had to decide, do I go get a job again or do I go after this uh, being real estate full full time? But what was interesting, 12 and a half percent at the time didn't feel high. No, it didn't. You know, what's interesting, though, back then that I remember on almost all of the government offers, FHA and VA, that the buyers were writing, it was standard back then for the seller to pay three points for the buyer. It was written into almost every contract. Yeah, that's that is interesting because that's no joke of a cost when you're dealing with a, I mean, 115 grand house, you're, you're paying thirty four hundred and fifty dollars in cost. That's a that's another realtor being involved for sure. Exactly. But, you know, that's it was interesting too. the VA, at least in the business that I was associated with, the VA, the VA buyer was really one of the main avenues of selling houses at the time. 
Yeah, obviously we did a lot of them. We did a lot of the VA no-nos too. Sure. Well, when it got harder to sell, they became a priority client. So you're going, okay, we can sell, we can sell it for uh, at full price. We're going to eat a lot of costs, but so what? You know, at least we're we're done. Yeah, so, and it doesn't mess up the comps because they're selling at market price. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, eighty-five to ninety, pretty good years. I mean, so when you joined the party, there was going to be five years, four or five years of really solid upside. Yeah, we bought our second house, the wife and I together, in like August 1990, somewhere thereabouts, and bought from a builder up in Riverside. And at that time, we took a nine and a half fix or a seven year fix for nine and a half. Okay. And refined it a couple years later down to seven and a half as the market kept coming down and then ultimately sold that place and bought again. What was... I guess what I'm going to try and chart is the mood of the buyer during this, these time frames. So 80 from 85 to 89 equity literally exploded prices almost doubled in that five-year period. So what was the borrower's mood toward um, extracting equity? Do you remember a lot of it being refis or was that not? Yeah, it was big- mostly refis. We didn't have HELOCs back then, uh, at least not at the mortgage bank I was at at the time. So it had to be a cash out refi if they were going to access the equity. Okay. So there was, but they also were lowering interest rates probably by refi. Yes. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. You know, when you've been around the business, as long as you have, you've seen, you've seen the cycles and the, like the borrower uh, habit, if you will. So let's now let's go into the 90 to 96 or 97 that was a gradual downturn for California real estate. What was what was the lending world like? Because you had a fair amount of foreclosures start participating in the inventory. Yeah, we still had a decent volume. You know, we obviously had enough to stay alive, uh, but it wasn't going gangbusters. You know, obviously the REOs put pressure on the market, HUD and the bank REOs. Um, but you know, we still had a fair share of business coming in. Yeah, was the was the borrower generally refining lots of equity out during that stretch of 85 to 89? I don't think so too much back then. I mean, most of the refis, I think back then were mostly rate term. Right. So they were just lowering the rate when they got a chance. Yeah. yeah that, that makes perfect sense. All right. So now let's get into the 2004 and five and 2006 era. So prices were Exploding. exploding. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy numbers. You know, we went from, I think we went up 300% from where we ended up in about 1990. So 180 to 540. And so the attitude of the borrower at that point was to be aggressive with their equity or? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we had, as you know, Part of the reason they caused the crash was all the crazy loans that were going around, you know, up till 07. But, you know, as an example, one of the best ones I can give you is I had a guy across the street from me who pulled cash out of two non-owner properties in San Bernardino. And he got 90% on a non-owner cash out, which was unheard of at the time, but it was subprime loans. And he went and bought 12 units in Utah with that money. (laughs) Wow. That 
Yeah. See, that's the thing that you, uh, when you have a, a history of the mortgage world like you have, and you see some of these things going on, did your company try to steer clear of the crazy of the crazy loans? Well, at that time, we had just been acquired by New Century, who was the second largest subprime lender in the nation. They were closing $4 billion a month, I believe. And uh, when, when everything came to a halt, you know, they were a REIT set up, so they have to pay out all the profits to the shareholders. But when Wall Street stopped buying the loans, they were out of business in two weeks, completely out of business. Wow. Yeah, that was the change... I remember going into Trademark Realty at the time we were renting space from Roger. And I, I remember hearing that like the subprime lending world was done. And I remember saying that to the realtors and they were just, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and like you said, two weeks later, oh my gosh, the whole world well, Like changed. you said at your seminar, I mean, lenders out there, well, what do you put in for income on these stated income loans? So whatever we need, you know, I mean, we didn't do a whole lot of that ourselves. We tried to do the no-doc loans because we have a conscience, you know? Right. You know, I mean, a no-doc loan, you're not lying. You're just, hey, they don't ask for income, you don't give them income. You're right. just looking at credit and equity in the property. So those we felt a lot stronger about, but the true uh, no-docs, there were a lot of lenders doing them. As, a, as someone in the business and you, you looked at this going on, what was your, what was your attitude about what's, what's next could be not good? Yeah, the, what, what was really also popular back um, 0506 was the option arm, which I'm sure you've heard of that right. product. Of course. I personally, I only did one of those loans and the client had to beg me to do it. I just did not feel good about putting people in that loan when, it, when it's got reverse amortization and they're going in with low down and going to end up upside down in the house. I just didn't, didn't like it. And the interest rate changed pretty radically after the. Oh, yeah, that's the yeah. other thing. They got in on this ridiculously low payment at maybe 1.5 or 1.9%, but instantly they're negative, neg negative interest adding to the loan balance. Right. And then the, when it changed, they had a real, maybe a, a, a payment that was actually double what they started with or some crazy yeah. number. Well, a good example of that is a friend of mine. He asked me to do a loan for him and I, I wouldn't do it. But he bought a brand new house at Riverside, zero down, stated income. He's a self-employed guy. He did that option arm with this super low intro payment. And then once it adjusted, the payment was almost double. He couldn't make it. He couldn't right. handle it. He ended right. up losing the house. Wasn't the assumption that the next refi would just be there? Yeah, that's what well, everybody thought the depreciation was still going to keep going gangbusters. And so they thought, you know, how can I lose? I'll be fine. Yeah. And then we all saw what happened. Yeah. And they weren't they weren't just borrowing on one house. Um, there was a guy that met me after I did a talk about the California crash. Just a club talk. So I was you know, talking for 45 minutes and raised the idea that this could go down. And he met me with a 63 property page that had minus 20 grand equity or not, minus 20 grand payments after rents. Wow. And he was perfectly comfortable mentally because he just thought he could refi it or he could sell it and make millions of dollars. That was that was the attitude toward the debt at the time. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, going back a little earlier, I remember somewhere about 93, a gentleman here in Riverside that did a lot of flips in addition to you 
um, he, towards the end there, actually was paying to close escrows just to get rid of the properties and get rid of the payments. You know, so he was basically negative in the hole to get rid of those properties towards the end. Yeah. Well, getting out was probably good. <laughs> a really good idea, especially if you're talking about 06, 07, because that was a... Uh, that was just going to be a drop and it was so fast because we were still in the flipping business. So when we bought an REO, say 2008, we actually subtracted 20% about off of the price thinking we're going to hold it for six months and the retail number will be 20% different than what it is right now. Yeah. So that was, well, we did. go ahead. Oh, I said, we weren't, unfortunately we weren't disappointed. That was an accurate number. Well, when we were doing the majority of our flips, thanks to uh, your push, uh, this was like 97, 98. Most of the houses we bought back then were around 65,000 and we were selling them for 130 to 135. Right. After, you know, fixed up, you know, we, and we'd average probably 30 to 40 grand a house, making them super nice so that they would sell super fast. Right. But we did a flip about five years ago highest one and i was a little nervous at the time the wife bought it for 270 here in riverside over on luther and she actually sold that thing for 390 <laughs> so i was i was shocked i couldn't believe it <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's uh there's some cycles to pricing sometimes you just kind of shake your head and go i i can't believe that that's actually occurred and california's you know We'll cover this in a minute, but, you know, we're certainly there again at the prices some of their places are bringing. You kind of shake your head and go, OK, well, that's uh, a little higher than I ever I ever thought there was. This is a kind of a funny story. We used to teach the boot camps out of the office in Riverside. And to do some research, I would always plug in, OK, show me homes in Moreno Valley under 100. When we started doing the boot camps, there was lots of them as time went by. OK, under 200. We hadn't done a boot camp in a while, and I was just curious what I would get. And so this is probably 2004 or five, and I said 200 or under, and there was nothing. Yeah. And this is, and then 300 and under, and there was like a mobile home, like two properties under 300 grand. So in my head, I actually thought, well, they must have really improved the area. So I drove out there, and nothing had happened to the area. Cars were still parked on the grass, and it still yeah. was felt uncomfortable if you were there in the dark, but the price had gone completely nuts. And, you know, we're, we're there again. Um, I wanted to ask you about the attitude of the borrower going back into that boom cycle, 04 to 07. What was their attitude about accessing equity constantly? It was still going on. I mean, like I, the classic example, my neighbor across the street, you know, he was pulling money out of his investment properties to go buy more investment properties. Everybody had the attitude that, you know, you can't, you can't go wrong with real estate. You know, it's just going to go up, up, up. So let's just get more of it. <laughs> but sadly, uh, he ended up losing, I think, a couple of those properties in Utah. Well, that was actually the next question. That, did they contemplate the possibility of a downside? And you've already answered it at the time. Yeah, he got into a situation like the guy you explained where his payments were, the rents weren't enough to make his payments. And he was, you know, over five grand a month in the negative, And he just didn't have the income to cover that. Yeah. And I think he probably, they all just thought, well, this is going to go up, go up and up and up in value. Um, Susie Levis does 
uh, our taxes. So she's always been a good barometer to talk to after tax season because she'll have uh, the mood of the participant, let's say. So during the cycle, it was everybody's refining at least two or three times and buying toys. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That, we, we did do a lot of that. Yeah. So that was that was a lot of the business. And then, you know, all of a sudden when it ended, you know, when you have a price crash of 50 percent in a couple of years, that's uh, that's crazy. So the fact that you survived in the loan business, what who were you lending to? We, I mean, there's still people buying. There's always people buying. So we just, you know, when the refis die out, you know, we have to be in tight with the realtors that we work with to make sure they don't forget about us. So we never forget about our realtors. You know, we always market to them primarily. And then we just take the refis that come when the markets are up and down. But we always try to focus on purchase. And over my career, I would say the purchase business has been on average in most markets about 70%. And about 30 refi, but in a high refi boom, obviously it'll go 50-50. Right. Um, 2019, we, we took a look at what was going on and it felt like it was kind of peaking in price. We, we had, I look at the charts and say, okay, we have unbelievably good charts. Nobody's in foreclosure. There's no REOs to compete with the, the market. And we had very little price movement. Uh, in 2019. And I actually thought, okay, we're, we're probably going to have um, a flat period or a down period. If we can't go up with these charts, if we have any negative charts, it'll, it'll be a, a negative impact on price. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened. Right. And none of us saw that happening. And 20 and 21 were our two biggest years ever, at least for me personally. Yeah. Uh, that would make perfect sense because I mean, the amount of times you could refi the same house and save money would probably be every six months. Pretty easy. Yeah. Were people doing that? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. I don't know if, did you get into the, I want to do a room addition to my house thing, or is that how they did a refi and they had some cash and they did some of those things? We did a lot of that, but most of the people would pull the cash out and then you know, start the project because obviously we don't want the house torn up when we're trying to do a loan on it. What was the attitude? Was the attitude different refining as far as pulling equity? Was it different in 2021 and 2020 versus the boom that we had where 2005 and six and seven, was there an attitude of more being more conservative borrowing from your house? Honestly, right. no. I mean, we had a lot of people starting to buy second homes out of state in the last two years that we hadn't seen before. You know, many people pulling the cash out of their primary residence and going off to Tennessee or Arizona or wherever and buying a second home. That's interesting. Now, is that because they think they'll eventually move there or that's just we have yeah, most of them? That's their plan. You know, until once they retire working locally, that they want to move off to those states, but they wanted to secure the house now while the prices were still within their budget, you know, affordability. Okay. Were there a fair amount of people that shifted to a lower, uh, let's say not a 30, but a 15 year loan? We did do a lot of that, taking people out of 30s and putting them into 15, just trying to shorten that time for retirement so that the house would be close to paid off once they did retire. Right. Yeah, it was, it was one of those very unusual opportunities if you wanted to borrow money that you'd have to 
would, you'd have to look at a chart and go, I guess if we're ever going to do that, it would be now. Yeah. So um, what was the odds of somebody getting an adjustable loan back then? Over the last three years, I have not done one adjustable. Um, yeah, I can probably go back 10 years and say that I haven't done an adjustable loan. I okay. just put in my first one last week. A client's buying a second home in Michigan. And what happened early this year, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac made changes to second home pricing. It used to be priced the same as an owner-occupied loan. Okay. So you could get a second home for the owner-oc rate. Well, they realized too many people were buying second homes and their risk was going up in their minds. So they started adding all these price level adjustments. And now they're priced the same as a non-owner loan. So the client that I just got for the Michigan property, a 30-year fix was going to be 7% and around two, two and a half points. And he got a seven-year fix for 5% at about a half a point. Okay. Um, so now let's take a look at 2022. And what percentage of the lending business is, is gone and what, what percentage of now, what is the ratio of purchase to refi? Refis are down over 70%. That's all, That's all though. Well, okay. I mean, in some, in some lenders cases, it could be more because there's some lenders out there that all they did was focus on refis. Okay. But we've okay. always been heavy purchase oriented here. So, I mean, but our, our business is still down by over 50% overall. Yeah. And the majority well, that... of that is the refis that are gone. Right. Okay. Um, do you see that being a long-term trend as long as interest rates are pretty high? Anybody's guess at this point. I mean, we're hoping, uh, I think I introduced or told you about Barry Habib. He's the guy that we follow out of New Jersey that gives us his insight on rates. And this was after your last seminar, but he has since put out a report that he thinks rates could get back under five by the end of this year, maybe the beginning of next year. He actually thinks rates will come down. So that was encouraging. And if that's the case, I think that's going to help us. Oh, I'm sure it would. You know, we're in this, we're building houses to sell and um, they're still selling. That's what's, that's what's going on. So these aren't flips. These are new builds that have gotten finished. And so we have, my son just got a full price offer on one of his homes. Um, we sold two or three houses last multiple offers on one of them. So still, there's still buyers in Florida and I'm sure the buyers in California. If interest rates are five, you know, you'd need a very short chart to be disappointed at 5%, wouldn't you? Yeah. So it's all recent history that five is awful, but take a look at, Eight, 1980 to now and you go okay wow that's yeah five is very reasonable even yeah. six is still reasonable yes it, it really is and maybe maybe it just takes a while for that to warm up and go okay well, that's that's okay that's normal you know what's also i'd like your opinion on this i i don't own any rentals in california but in in i know rents have gone up a lot there in florida the rents have gone up so much that a payment at five or six percent uh, interest is equivalent to rent in the areas that we're specking houses. Yeah, when we were at three, three and a quarter, 
you could still say that about California. It was cheaper to buy the house than rent. But now that prices have gone up even more, and now that rates are up over five, it you know that does the math doesn't work anymore. You know you okay. can rent cheaper than you can own. But there's but there's still advantages to owning. So it may not be such a dichotomy that you go, okay, well I'll never own, because when you have a payment, you have a principal reduction too. So yeah, my payment's more, but I'm getting right. I'm getting I'm getting equity gain each month. You've got to look at the, at the investment. And that's one of the things that Barry points out in some of his talks that, you know, if you've got a borrower who buys, uh, you know, let's just say a half a million dollar house and puts 50,000 down, well, their investment's 50. And if that home goes up 5% a year, you know, in a couple of years, you know, they've got 100% return on their money, not yeah. counting the principal reduction. So, right. you know, it's still a good investment. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I want to own my own house. I mean, that's just, embedded in me forever. I, I still remember with some emotion me cutting my grass for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, I actually felt like a man. I was like 20, 21 years old. And I felt like I had joined, uh, joined the adult world. I'm cutting yeah. my own grass, no equity. <laughs> yeah. My, my I, wind, my windows don't open, but Hey, I'm a homeowner. I remember the exact same feeling. It closed on my 20th birthday, but I, I I did have a buddy from high school. We bought it together, but still, you know, we were so proud to say, hey, we're 20 years old and we bought our own house. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, in 05, I'm working on California crash and I think, okay, prices are really going to take a hit. And I live in on Piedmont, which at the time was probably going for a million two. And I thought, obviously it would be a good time to sell. So I called up and tried to be a renter for one conversation. And the guy fortunately asked me a good question. Uh, I told him, you know, I'll pay you a year in advance, not your typical renter. And he goes, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'd like to ask you a question. He said, do you have any pets? And there was a pause. And I said, I'm so glad you asked me that question because I remembered why I owned. It was so no one got to ask me that. Right. I want, if I want a pet, I want a pet. If I want to paint the house purple, I can do that. So I was worth that home ultimately sold for 500 grand less than the peak. And I could care less. I would still rather do that and do would do it again. Uh, just because I want to own. That's exactly right. where, where right. I'm at. You, you know, you don't have to ask anybody for permission or, you know, whatever. Just you do what you want to do. Yeah. To me, that's, that's just being part of uh, like the American dream. That would be, I wouldn't want to go home without having the key to the door of the house I own. That's just in, embedded in my, in my heart, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the, excuse me, what is the owner's feeling about staying in the house because he's got such a great loan? Right now, the people that are calling us for, getting money out, it's not making sense for them to touch those 3% loans. And a lot of them are under three, you know, there's some that are two and seven eighths, two and three quarters. So what most of them are doing now is just doing the HELOC to get access to the equity. Do you think their intention is to sell or to stay? Um, I think most will stay. I mean, obviously there's certain situations that come up, that, sure. you know, divorce or whatever, loss of job, layoff, but most of the people, you know, that have those low rates, you know, are planning to stick around a while. Yeah, that's, you know, that's really what I, and, you know, I didn't know what the answer would be 
the, my assumption would be that there'll be a lot less inventory for sale unless there's a circumstance where their life changes. Okay. I lost my job. I'm going to go to Tennessee to get a new one and prices are cheaper there anyway. So I, you know, I can afford the five or 6% rate. I could see that occurring, but I, I really think there's a great percentage of the people that have those loans that probably in, are just saying, we're good. We're staying. Right. And I'm, I'm one of those people, you know, I, luckily I did an adjustable loan back in 2005. And at the time it was a five and three quarter, five-year fixed loan. And ever since that five year ended, the rate <laughs> has gone down. That's right. You know, I, I ended up at two and three quarters, you know, the sixth year and I haven't touched that loan since and I haven't had to. Wow. You know? So, um, and, and, but we're now we're building equity, you know, a couple thousand a month going to principal. So, you know, we're just going to sit tight. Okay. And most likely we'll probably. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911. Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the Hard Money tab.